you are visiting with us today at Connect Church, welcome here. My name is John, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's good to have you with us today. Um, we've last week launched into a series that uh, we really sensed we need to be preaching into and speaking about, and it's a series we, we've entitled, It All Adds Up. Um, it's basically about money. And uh, that's quite an unusual thing to talk about on Mother's Day, but I'm going to do that. Well, maybe it's not such an unusual thing to talk about on Mother's Day. But, but the, as I was spending time in the passage that I want to talk about uh, this morning, I found myself being incredibly stretched and incredibly challenged by, by what God was saying to me. Because although I've read this passage time and time and time again, it had, it's never landed in my heart in the way that it did during the course of this week. I want to draw your attention to a very interesting phenomenon. And it was this. It's the way that a whole group of churches started to exhibit incredible levels of generosity that were totally unrelated to their financial standing. These are the kinds of people that make you nervous. These are the kind of people who say, God is telling me to give. God is telling me to care. God is telling me to step, step out in faith. And the first thing we say to people like that is, but what about the rest of the money? How are you going to manage to pay your bills? What about enough for, for the food for the rest of the month? Those are the kinds of people that we are, we are talking about. They seem to be people who are reckless. They seem to be people who are totally irresponsible. I don't know if you've ever met people like that. But when we come to 2 Corinthians, Paul points out, that these people are not being reckless and they're not being irresponsible at all. But what is happening, he's saying, is there's such a powerful work of God's grace that these people are free to do things that they've never done in their lives before. A shift had taken place where, where poverty and hardship were not the deciding factor in what people were doing with their money. Have you ever met people like that? Where poverty and hardship are no longer the deciding factor in what they do with their money. We'll read this in a minute when we come to the scripture. But when you dive into this, Paul is talking about the Macedonian churches. He's talking about people who, were, who had hit the bottom financially. What had happened in those days, and you might want to ask yourself the question, why were things so tough? Well, what, what was happening over there is that the people were under Roman rule. The area of Macedonia's, uh, the church of Philippi was there, the church of Thessalonica was there. These were people who were in abject poverty because of Roman rule. And what had happened, the Romans had annexed gold, the gold and silver mines, which would have been a large form or part of the income of the people there. There were high taxes. Food was incredibly expensive. And so the, the word that's being used is their levels of poverty were unlike anything we could imagine. They, that actually hit the bottom. That, that's what he's describing over here. These were people who had a different approach to giving altogether because their priority 
was to put God first, and their priority was to be a blessing to other people around about them. The fact that they were facing their own hardships, that they were, they were needy themselves, was not holding them back from being generous. Nobody was trying to manipulate them. I mean, we're all familiar with people trying to manipulate God's people. You know, if you give so much money, God will answer this prayer or that prayer. And, and, and what, what makes their generosity so compelling is their whole approach to giving. They're saying this is an honor. This is a privilege. We beg you, won't you allow us to participate in this project of helping the people in the church in Jerusalem? And Paul highlights what's happening in the Macedonian church because it was happening, having such a massive impact um, on his own life. It shows us... What happens in the kingdom when people like you and me put God first? It shows us what can happen when the culture, you, does this term make sense to you? The culture of the kingdom transcends the culture of this world. That makes sense to you? It's the teachings, it's, it's the, 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 the understanding of God's kingdom when that starts to transcend the culture that we live in and the way that our culture looks at money and things like that. So let's read it together, read what Paul said, and then I'll talk a little bit more. And now, brothers, we want you to know, and here's the point about the grace that God is giving to the Macedonian churches. That's the point. I want you to know about the grace that God has given. Out of the most severe trial, friends, these guys were suffering. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And so we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to the completion this act of grace on your part. So what's happening? Paul is using the Macedonian church and what had happened over there as an example to spur the Corinthians, who were much more wealthy, in their, spur them on in their giving. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, so I'm not putting pressure on you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. He's saying, like, I'm not trying to force you to give. He said, what I want to see is, is your love for real. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was yet, sorry, was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. The word that's used for the poverty of Jesus is exactly the same word that's used for the poverty of the Macedonians. Abject poverty. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he experienced abject poverty so that through his poverty you might become rich. 
Now, when we talk about Christians being generous with their money, there's something I want to highlight to you. It's got nothing to do with how much they give. See, whenever we talk about being generous with money, we always think about how much. When Paul highlights this among the Macedonian churches, he is not highlighting how much they gave. What he's highlighting is their walk with God and what their walk with God is like. What he's, what he's highlighting is their attitude to money. What he's highlighting is their refusal to be caught up with a very secular approach to money. What he's highlighting is their concern for other people. Friends, generosity's got to do with those kinds of things. When he describes the generosity of the Macedonian church, these are the things he's putting his finger on. Look at verse 2 again. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You see, when it comes to money, we have to keep reminding ourselves that the economy of the kingdom is different to the economy of our country. It's different. That's Paul's point over here. These Macedonians, they show us what, what giving can be like when we are free from a secular understanding or worldly approach to money. You see, Christianity does not include God in our lifestyles. Can I say that again? Christianity does not include God in our lifestyles. It makes God central to our lifestyles. Does that make sense to you? We're not just adding God on here and there and everywhere else. It's saying everything begins to revolve around him. That's why when Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he said, you have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. God rescued you. You were in bondage. You were being controlled by this kingdom of darkness, and God's done a rescue work in your life. Now, the Bible's got a lot to say about the kingdom and money, and, and I think it may be helpful for me for me this morning just to touch on a few issues related to the kingdom and money. The first one is this. In the kingdom, followers of Jesus refuse to allow money to have power over them. Do you know that money can have power over you? Do you know that money can be an idol? Do you know that money can be your master? So that's why Jesus, and we preached to do this just recently in the Sermon on the Mount, listen, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He doesn't say think about it. He says don't do it at all. And later on he highlights why he's saying that. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. What Jesus is saying is money has got the possibility of being my master and your master. Don't let that happen. In the kingdom... People recognize that God is their provider. Now, I need to say something about that this morning. Because there are so many of us who say, that's my money because I worked for it. When you got it all wrong. The only reason you were able to work for it was because of His grace. And because He allowed you. That's why when, when, when Jesus goes on on the Sermon on the Mount, he goes on to say, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans 
do that. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you. I want to suggest to you that the way you use your money will be a good indication of whether you believe that truth or not. In the kingdom, people are alert to the way God wants them to use their money. Listen to what Paul said in in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. He says, uh, each man, verse 7, should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Paul's giving them a bit of advice. He's saying this very simply. You decide before the Lord how much you're going to give. Friends, I want to say we need to, as pastors and leaders, stop telling people to give money. I'll tell you why. You decide what you're going to give because you're going to answer to God one day. Not me. You don't have to answer to me. He's going to say, I entrusted you with, I gave you, I, I blessed you with, what have you done with it? We need to answer ultimately to the ultimate person. And that's to the Lord. So that's why Paul says, you decide. He knows where we're going to stand one day. In the kingdom, and this is the way I put it, but I know that I need to change it. I said, people consider the needs of others as something important. I was very worried about that statement. And I'll tell you why. I think it needs to be, in the kingdom, people consider the needs of others a responsibility. It's more than important. It is a responsibility we have as Christians. Isn't one of the core values of Christianity is that our love is expressed by what we do? Not, not I feel lovey. It's, 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 may I even say, it's not even praying for people, the Lord bless you and provide. It's doing something about it. That's why John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how in the world can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words. We are a generation that are used to using words in place of action. Another aspect of the kingdom, and this was something that really dawned on me, In the kingdom, people do away with percentage giving or tithing. Do you know why? Because when people tithe, they have this this approach. I've given my 10%. I don't need to worry about anything else. I've done my bit for God. Friends, that's not a model of giving in the New Testament. And I can tell you, I, I did that at one stage. Well, Lord, I've done my bit. I don't need to worry about any appeals. I don't need to worry about needy people. I don't, I'm giving my bit to God. I've done my bit. You can't put percentages down if you're being led by the Spirit. Then Paul makes another interesting observation about Generosity. And the generosity of the Macedonian church. He he says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. God first. They did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Their generosity was the result of putting God first. Of obeying God's instructions, of avoiding what trap? Here's the trap they need to avoid. Me first. You see, what's the other option? 
it's me first. Isn't that what our culture tells us to do every day? Me first, it's all about you. And what they did is they put God first, it's seek first the kingdom. Giving ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit, putting God first, often results in amazing generosity. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Some of you have seen people become incredibly generous. I mean, it's just, I was thinking about this this morning when, when I was preparing this message. I was thinking about how over the years in the, in the, in the ministry, people have come to me and they, they've decided they're replacing their motor vehicle. And they come to you and say, Pastor, is there somebody in the church who, who's really got a need? I'd like, to, I'd like to help them and bless them. Don't want to know where it came from, but will you be the, the go-between? I've seen that. I've seen when people have given away cars that have been a bit of a wreck, and then a mechanic's come, and the panel beater's come, and the panel beater fixed it for free, and the mechanic fixed it for free so that they got a good car. When we started in the ministry, I mean, we struggled massively. I remember a lady loaned us a vehicle so to use, and... Uh, when we came to give it back to her, she said, I'd like to give it to you. I'd like to bless you with it. Before I went into, into ministry in the church, spent a few years on a, on a Christian team. We used to travel sort of up and down through the country. And you'll remember these were in the, the bad old days of apartheid, and we, were, we would go into townships and live in people's homes. And I saw abject poverty. And I remember an incident, and it stood out for me when I was preparing this message, of a family that only had a one-bedroom house, similar to the RDP houses we are familiar with, moved out of their main bedroom, gave us their bed, and spent most of their month's wages on groceries to feed us. Friends, that's generosity. That's what Paul is talking about amongst the Macedonian churches. I, I, um, I used to be a youth pastor in my younger days, about five years ago or so. so. <laughs> and somebody rebuked me because I this morning after the Edicott service because I said one of the older woman in the church when I was a youth pastor. She was 70 years old, and that person said, that's not old. You're old only when you get beyond 80, whatever. <laughs> but seriously, she came to me and she said, John, I was youth pastor, she said, I want you to come and see me. And she said to me, I want you to tell me your vision for youth ministry in this church. I told her the vision said, how much will that cost? Told her, worked it out, went away, worked out what we needed for what we wanted to do. She said, you'll have the money by the end of the month. And, you know, hindsight is always perfect sight, but I can look back now and see young person after young person who came to faith in Jesus because she was willing to make an investment. Friends, that's generosity. 
I should be talking about over here. I know there are different views about the early church and the generosity of the early church. People say, well, you can't use that as a model for the church today. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be part of a church when it said there were no needs among us? Just imagine that. I'd love to be part of a church where I can look everybody in the eye and say, there are no needs among us. Another aspect of generous giving that Paul reinforces here is that giving is a decision that each one of us must make before the Lord. It's a decision, and I want to emphasize before the Lord this. It's your call. It's your choice. You do it. I do it before the Lord. Paul is, is, is against trying to manipulate people to give. Why? Because in the kingdom, people give because they want to see the gospel advance. You don't need to twist people's arms that are already convinced. People give because they care about others. People give because they're part of another kingdom. That's why people give. Although the Macedonian churches had given sacrificially in their poverty, Paul is now saying to the Corinthian church, your time. Your chance. You step up to the plate as well. They gave out of their poverty. You're much more wealthy, but you need to play a, a role in what is happening. And he goes on to say, Our desire is not that others may, might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. The word equality is the word fairness. Let's play our part. Let's all play our role so that there can be fairness in the kingdom. Corinthians are encouraged to do their fair in meeting the needs of the believers in Jerusalem. Friends, we are all meant to play a part. We're meant to do what we can as we are able. But here's the thing that I noticed that I've missed for a long time. It's actually our attitude to giving that counts at the end of the day. Do you know that? Do you know one day when if I stand before the Lord, it's not going to say, well, John, that was a nice thousand there. Wow, that was amazing. You got 400. Wow, that was one and a half. Wow, I'm really impressed. So he's going to say, let's look at your heart when you did that. That's a huge thing. You say, I'd rather you not give than you give with a bad spirit and a bad heart. And you know why? Because only the Lord can sort out our hearts. And our giving is meant to be an overflow of what's in our hearts. After all. My sense for us this morning is the point of this whole message is that when God's grace is at work like this, something begins to open up. God begins to do something, not just in individual people's lives, but in whole churches. And, and last night when I was 
and I was praying, just saying, God, what do you want for this morning? He said, I want my people to be free in this land. Some of you have grown up in, in abject poverty and it's burned you. And it's affected you. For some people, it's holding us in bondage. Some people, money might have become your God. It's like the all-consuming thing. God wants his people to be free in this area. So I want to pray. I want to pray for that. I, please hear me this morning. This is not a sermon to try and get money out of you. That's the last thing that I want to do. This is about us stepping into a grace from God that is unusual. A grace that is powerful. So we want to do that. If Edwina has got something in her heart for you, I want to just share that. Um, so this morning when I was just praying into the service, I felt that there are some of us who um, the Lord is just calling to take a step of faith. Um, and it may look like a step of faith with our finances or with business or something that's in our family to do with finances. And what that can look like sometimes is you can have the same thought about, oh, I should give or I should do this or I should do that. And that's sometimes how the Lord speaks to us. And we really do want to respond to the Lord with our obedience and not just respond to what we feel somebody's saying, but we actually want to hold true to what the Lord is saying and, and actually respond to that. And so just when I was in praying into that and asking the Lord, what does that look like and what's he saying, I felt these words come to my heart. And um, I want to encourage you that if taking a step of faith with your finances or if you feel like you just want to respond to some of the things that John um, has been saying, I want to encourage you to just close your eyes and hear what the Lord is saying because in, in stepping out in faith, there's so much freedom and there's so much um, reward for just being obedient to the Lord your God. Yeah, so Father, we invite you to speak deeply to our hearts, God, and Holy Spirit, we invite you to move amongst your people, and Lord, I invite you to use me um, just as you see fitting. I'm inviting you to take a step out in faith. I, the Lord your God, am calling you to take a step of faith. Deep down, you recognize I've been nudging you to make this move, but you are uncertain. I see that, and I'm not angry by that at all. So let me remind you of who I am and who's calling you to make this step. I am the Lord your God. I am compassionate, and I'm deeply compassionate and understanding. I am faithful to generations before you, and I am faithful to you. I am the Lord your God who fashions you, who fashions the world, and who fashions your family. I am mighty to provide for you, and I am mighty to provide through you. 
I am your everlasting father, and I am the prince of peace. I am the one who fights for you. I am the one who loves you with an overwhelming love. It is I who calls you. It is I, the Lord your God, who is beckoning you to take the step. And I ask you to transition and to take the step because I have plans to bring my kingdom plans and I have intentions to bring my, to change the world through you and to you. I want to bring my plans to this community. I want to bring my plans to this church. I want to make an impact here so that the world will know that I am your God. Come to me, come and sit with me, and I will give you peace and understanding. I will listen to you as you pour out your heart. I will listen to you as you tell me your concerns, and I will tell you again that I am your faithful God. I love you with an overwhelming love. Trust me, I am with you. Thank you, Dina. I'm going to close off in prayer. And on my heart, it's, this is not about what we need to do and what we are going to do. It's about what God wants to do through us. And after all, we His church, we're His body. Um, God hasn't got a, He doesn't bypass the church. He doesn't bypass us. He works through us. And if there's going to be a measure of this grace that was evident in the Macedonian church, that's God. It's what God is wanting to release. It's how God is wanting to move through His church. It's what God is wanting to happen through us. And I believe God has seen something of our heart for the poor. I think God has seen the hearts of people in this church who every day go out there to try and make a difference amongst the least amongst the most needy. I believe God sees that. I believe the, the Lord sees the hearts of people that cry out for the brokenness they see in their community. And God is saying, I will release through my spirit and my grace blessing that can filter through into those places as well. And so Holy Spirit, I pray today for that grace. I pray for the outpouring of that grace, Lord. I pray that it will touch my heart. I pray that it will touch our hearts. I pray, Lord, it will release us so that we won't keep counting. But, Lord, we'd be so willing to respond. Lord, I pray that there'd be a whole new attitude and a whole new approach it begins to emerge amongst us. Lord, if you can do it for the Macedonians, you can do it here too. And so God, I pray, Holy Spirit, I ask you this morning for this awesome moving of the grace to be generous, the grace to be generous. May it impact us, rest upon us, free us, empower us, give us joy, May there be a whole new spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.